Who are you going to trust on the climate crisis? How about a Sherpa who has ascended and descended Mount Everest 21 times? Less snow and more rocks and glaciers all over the mountain. Melting, he says. And tick, tick, tick is the sound of a pandemic time bomb of tick-borne disease fueled by a warming climate. Plus, the Trump administration considered as the world's greatest climate threat, next to its partner in climate crime, the fossil fuel industrial complex. Welcome to the debut podcast of Changing Climate Times, a free newsletter on climate crisis news and views, steering a course between the dire news and what to do. Subscribe at changingclimatetimes.substack.com. Follow on Twitter at at @timesclimate. Actually, Changing Climate Times, or CCT, just published its 19th issue this first week of July 2019, so this is podcast edition one of CCT issue 19. Let's get started. One, Chomolungma weeps. What image appears when you hear the word Sherpa? Doubtless for many of us, a cinematic image pops into mind. Slight brown-skinned men nimbly hauling heavy rucksacks, leading folks from around the world with frosted goggles up Mount Everest. What about this definition of Sherpa? First-person climate change reporter. That's what came to my mind reading a recent New Republic article. In it, a 57-year-old Nepalese man, Appa Sherpa, talks about his 21 ascents of Mount Everest. His last ascent was in 2011. Even then, after three decades of climbing the great mountain the Nepalese call Sagarmatha and Tibetans call Chomolungma, Appa saw how it had been transformed by a warming climate. There are big changes on the mountain from when I first climbed to the last time. There is less snow and more rocks. There used to be house-sized ice pyramids at base camp, but now you don't see that. Back then, we had to melt ice and snow for water at base camp and at camp too. Now you can find streams of water at both places. In 2008, I noticed that all the glaciers all over the mountain were melting. There were messes of human waste all over the road that came from the ice melt. On the mountain, the human waste is not stinky because it is very cold, so we brought it down in Ziploc bags and dumped it in barrels in the valley. If we ever needed one vivid image for the climate crisis, collecting warmed-up climber poop off the planet's highest hill because we've messed up Earth's operating system might just be it. As the climate activist sign puts it, there is no planet B. P.S. Appa stopped climbing when his wife told him to. You've got to listen to whatever your wife says, he wisely noted. He now runs the Appa Sherpa Foundation, which accepts donations to aid Sherpa communities. PSS. The word Sherpa does not mean helps Westerners get up Big Mountain. It means people from the East. Sher equals East and Pa equals people. They're an ethnic group believed to have immigrated from Eastern Tibet about 500 years ago. Appa explains, not all Sherpas guide on the mountain. Not all of them should have to. Two, pithy climate tweets. So famous climate scientist Michael E. Mann retweeted a link to an article from Raw Story and highlighted the quote, Trump scientists insist that carbon dioxide is good for you. Volcanologist Jess Phoenix, that's someone who studies volcanoes, not a native of Spock's homeworld Vulcan, tweeted back possibly the best pithy climate tweet of the week. Here it is. Three words. Spoiler. It's not. Enough said. 
On the other hand, check out the newsletter for links to the science that takes on the claim that CO2 is good for us, and we need even more of it. And thanks for the links from the Twitter account of stalwart climate science denier frontline warrior Peter Believes in Science, Not Dogma. Follow him on Twitter if you're on Twitter. To quote just one response from an article in The Guardian titled, New Study Undercuts Favorite Climate Myth That More CO2 Is Good for Plants, a 16-year study found that we're at a point where more CO2 won't keep increasing plant production, but higher temperatures will decrease it. As the article notes, quote, it seems like a great counter-argument to the fact that carbon dioxide is a dangerous pollutant, a fact that contrarians often dispute. However, reality is far more complicated than the oversimplification of CO2 is plant food. Unlike in the controlled environment of a greenhouse, the increasing greenhouse effect on Earth causes temperatures to rise and the climate to change in various ways that can be bad for plant life. We can't control all the other variables the way we can in a greenhouse, end quote. PSS. Attention Climate Twitter. We've spun off a new hashtag from Volcanologist. Now that's a fun word to say. Volcanologist Jess Phoenix's tweet for busy folks with time to read only six words or less. Hashtag pithy climate tweets. You heard it here first on the Changing Climate Times podcast. Number three. Tick, tick, tick. Usually when someone writing on the climate says tick, 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 you assume it's about how much time remains to address the climate crisis before we are human toast. But no, let's talk ticks, the multi-threat bugs, small as Mount Everest is large. Just like Everest's melting ice pyramids, a pandemic of debilitating, sometimes deadly, tick-borne diseases looks to be another domino falling from a climate going haywire. That's according to Elemental, a science-backed subset of Medium.com. Elemental just published an amazing, alarming, frightening, illuminating, magisterial series with the not-so-subtle title, Tickpocalypse. Hey, dear Elemental page designer, impressive work, but man, it is hard to read with icky animated ticks wriggling over the pages. Maybe the point was to freak us out? It did. The lead story's headline sums it up. Lyme disease cases are exploding, and it's only going to get worse. Climate change and human sprawl have triggered a pandemic. Thanks to climate change, globalization, and other factors, the series notes, ticks are not only proliferating, but also becoming more malignant, more aggressive, and more likely to carry infection. A public health crisis is hiding in plain sight, with tick-borne diseases creating millions of sick people at an economic cost running into the billions, and little has been done so far to mount a meaningful defense. On every walk in the woods or picnic in the park, we are encountering more ticks. And as Willie Bergdorfer, the entomologist who identified the bacteria that causes Lyme disease once proclaimed, there is no such thing as a clean tick, end quote from the article. Lyme disease is most common in the mid-Atlantic region, the upper Midwest, and northeast of America, yet the series notes it has now been found in all 50 states. About 300,000 people are estimated to contract the disease each year in America, a number expected to skyrocket. Tick bite illnesses are also booming globally, too. And if you thought Lyme disease and the even more dangerous tick-borne disease Rocky Mountain Spotted Fever were only worries for folks in forests, the series will have you thinking and planning differently when you head outside. Start with the link in the newsletter titled How to Prevent and Treat Tick Bites in Lyme Disease. For readers who just can't mount the energy to click a link, here are key tips from the series as a public service announcement from CTC. Actually, they're from the CDC, but we're the CTC. 
Number one, seek ticks in the backs of knees, armpits, behind the ears, groin, scalp, and around the waist, including your belly button. Dogs and cats bring ticks home too, so check them out. If you find a tick, get it out quickly, even if you only have fingers. You want it out ASAP, as the longer it's in, the more your exposure to pathogens. Clean the bite site with alcohol or soap and water, then apply neosporin or other antibacterial ointment. Don't freak, not all ticks transmit disease. Ticks start smelling blood anytime the temperature rises above freezing, but they're most likely to bite during spring and summer. Don't let ticks keep you from enjoying the nature or allow it to preserve. Sticking to wide sunlit paths is a good way for people and pets to avoid ticks. Use repellents with DEET, says the CDC. Natural repellents with essential oils of garlic, rosemary, and other plants will repel black-legged ticks, says the EPA. Wear long pants and tuck them into your socks. Once home, remove clothes and dry on high heat for 50 minutes. Ticks can survive washing and low heat drying. So what in the world should we do about this globally? One idea is scary ambitious. Via CRISPR, the magic mad scientist method of altering current life forms into brand new brands of life forms, yikes, alter the DNA of white-footed mice, a huge tick vector equal to the role rats played in the bubonic plague, the series ominously notes, then release these lime-resistant mice into the fields and woods of Nantucket and Martha's Vineyard as proof of concept. What could go wrong, right? P.S. I try to avoid overloading readers with uber-alarming climate stories, but the Everest Tale and Tick series are like bookends. They illustrate how every aspect of earthly existence is affected by the consequences of an overheating world. The biggest issue of all, the issue presidential candidate Jay Inslee rightly says includes all others, is to slow down, then stop, how our fossil fuel-powered global economy pours heat into the Earth's atmosphere and seas, and then keeps it there, triggering a cascade of worldwide species-killing consequences. Big as Everest, small as a tick. Four. What's it all about, Alfie? Sorry, that reference to a 1966 film will surely date me. I don't know about this climate communications work, to be honest. Changing climate times is a tiny shrub in the sprawling, fast-spreading ecosystem of climate work. Hey, any other shrubs reading this or hearing this? Let's grow together. First, I give myself an attaboy for an issue that I think cleverly bookends the climate crisis. Mount Everest and ticks as harbingers of climate change. Then I catch myself. Wait a sec. What we're really talking about here is whether my smart-as-a-whip 20-something daughter, an electronic dance music maestro son, will have a habitable planet to call home and still be dancing to his songs with joy when they're my age. That's a buzzkill. I'd rather work myself out of this part-time climate newsletter job by helping in some small way to turn things around. After all is said and done, that's why us climate shrubs and all the other climate flora and fauna from scientists to activists, moms and pops to Greta Thunberg and local school kids raise our voices. If you don't have kids, bring to mind someone you love age 40 or less. If you are a kid, make sure you get mom and dad, grandpa and granddad, uncle and aunt, teacher and friends out for the global climate strike coming the week of September 20th through the 27th this year, 2019. It's taking place like everywhere on earth. Maybe where you live and love, maybe you're going to be the one who helps plan for the strike and other events that unfold that week where you live. Tune in. 
Don't drop out. Check out the link in the newsletter for how to mount a local strike or go to globalclimatestrike.net and see the inspiring Planet Climate Strike video in issue 19 of Changing Climate Times. Five, Trump as climate crisis. Speaking of pithy statements, here's one from a recent Changing Climate Times tweet. I feel it bears repeating. The Trump administration is the world's greatest climate change threat next to the fossil fuel industrial complex. They're climate crime gangbangers. That tweet quoted a recent Politico story that revealed, and I quote, Agriculture Department buries studies showing dangers of climate change. The Trump administration has stopped promoting government-funded research into how higher temperatures can damage crops and pose health risks. Here's more from the story. Quote, The Trump administration has refused to publicize dozens of government-funded studies that carry warnings about the effects of climate change. Studies range from a groundbreaking discovery that rice loses vitamins in a carbon-rich environment, a potentially serious health concern for 600 million people worldwide whose diet consists mostly of rice, to a finding that climate change could exacerbate allergy seasons, to a warning to farmers about the reduction in quality of grasses important for raising cattle. End quote. P.S. I'm a stout fan of Rachel Maddow. I've taken issue with the lack of prime real estate on her MSNBC show devoted to climate change, but her July 1st, 2019 program led off with a long segment on the Politico story just quoted. The story details how our commander and so-called chief has a full court press on to bury all climate research by the government Americans pay to protect them and the world from existential threats like climate change and them. Way to go, Ms. Maddow. Keep it coming. Final P.S. You promised cartoons. I did in the debut issue of Changing Climate Times way back in issue one. But this is a podcast, not a video cast. Check out the newsletter for this issue's cartoon. But, but wait, I think I can help you visualize it. It's a picture of someone underwater in an old-fashioned deep-sea diver metal suit with a round helmet. Behind the guy, you can see the submerged skyline of New York City, I think. The guy in the suit is holding a sign. There's a lock of orange hair streaming out of his headgear. The sign says, Make CO2 Great Again! That's it for this debut issue of the podcast version of ChangingClimateTimes.com. If you aren't already subscribed and want email notice of both the free newsletter and podcast when they come out, subscribe at ChangingClimateTimes.substack.com. Thanks to David Umbrogno for key editing feedback and cool swirled planet photos you can see in our archives. This is Douglas John Umbrogno, your Changing Climate Times concierge and curator. Be well. Save the world, not the big one, but the one in which you live and love. <laughs>